This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am fired up today partly because I just ate way too much chocolate. Which you I just, don't... yeah, you took down uh, three quarters of a very large chocolate bar. Like novelty size. <laughs> novelty size chocolate bar. Also, I took down the other quarter. It was, uh, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the punch. Yeah. Um, that I also consumed. <laughs> no, just kidding. the punch from the chocolate bar, uh, not the fruit punch. But I, I, it was, uh, you know, it was. I do feel like I got slapped with a sugar cane because uh, I am, I'm falling asleep here. I'm yeah. actually, I've been, I've been like vibrating, and now it's starting to hit me, and I'm, I'm starting to cloud over a bit. Well, well, yeah, and and the thing about this novelty size chocolate bar, most people listening, if there's anybody left, is thinking, where would they get a novelty size chocolate bar? Yeah. And the answer is from a client's gift basket. <laughs> <laughs> two so, things. Two things about that. One is, uh, I think I ate half. Uh, <laughs> and two is, uh, snitches get stitches. So um, you apparently didn't but hear did, that. But you did undo uh, the the plastic wrap around the gift basket. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> We've Take got the Tiffany. chocolate out <laughs> and then tie it back up. You're burying the lead. Yeah, yeah, Tif- true, Tiffany true. Chu is is an environment commissioner for the city of San Francisco, and she is the CEO of Remix, which is a collaborative software program for transportation decision makers. This is uh, a great person to have on right now, all things considered. 
uh, death of the city conversation continuing on this podcast. That's right. Tiffany is a great person to have on uh, in part because she's – that software that you mentioned, like in layman's terms, she's, in, she's talking with people from TransLink but other transportation departments and transportation planning departments across North America. That's what her software does, right? So she's, sure. she's a very – interesting uh, person to have on the show right now when we're kind of seven, eight months into COVID here, continuing this conversation that I feel like we've been having for a while. I mean, last week we were talking about sales ratios on the Sunshine Coast and in Squamish and Bowen Island, how high they were and how, you know, there's like 15% price appreciation in the last six months. Yeah. And the exodus from Vancouver, if that is actually happening right now. Yeah. But Tiffany sees uh, kind of a remake of the cities here, but not necessarily an exodus. Right. Yeah, more of a remix. But here's the thing. If you have been paying attention to, I guess, our conversation, which has been happening on this show... You'll remember the Jeb Brugman program that we had where we talked about resiliency in cities. Yeah. There's a bit of that in here. And and I just anecdotally speaking, I think we're all using our communities more, right? Would it be safe to say that? I don't want to speak for the VREP community, but a lot of people I'm talking to – they're shopping locally. They're they're getting to know kind of their neighbors. They're they're spending a lot more time in at home base. Right. right. Well, and and what uh, Tiffany Chu points out during this conversation is the transportation networks have have largely been from the outskirts of the city to the center. Right. And in the last six eight months, those those transportation networks have changed to uh, be more local. But it, I, I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Interestingly enough, on a total side note, the World Economic Forum uh, just spoke to 300 and basically three, called 350 experts, uh, transportation experts, and they are saying bicycles and buses are the future. And uh, that's the type of thing Tiffany's talking about. So I feel like this is, we're really in a moment of, of, Remix. Here's here's a question then, because I mean, I feel like uh, people like one thing that COVID did for sure is it took technology and people people's comfort levels with things like FaceTime and uh, being on social media and Zoom and working from home, and it it advanced it like probably a hundred years in like six weeks, right? Um, you know, in terms of like how long it would have taken us to get there, maybe not a hundred years, but maybe a decade in six weeks or something along those Depending lines. Depending on your age, um, yeah. And I'm pulling these numbers just. <laughs> Right out of my yeah. chocolate-covered <laughs> mouth. Um, I, I have no idea where they're coming from, but I I would say that uh, generally speaking, it has progressed our comfort level with technology. I wonder if this is doing the same for cities, like just putting a, a, a basically a, a, a steroid injection into how quickly cities are changing and getting to that end goal that a lot of progressive planners kind of want – as like kind of you know taking back at the community level the, the fifteen minutes yeah the right? fifteen minutes and we like, talk about that like the the Paris idea of it, having kind of community nodes and that was pre COVID but sure. now I feel like COVID has just exactly what you're saying just pumped steroids into a bunch of cities across the globe presumably it's like the the good spinoff of COVID though that all these things are happening and and you could argue based on our conversation with Tiffany that that really um, 
accessibility and inclusion is is a huge one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no, I felt like, uh, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about COVID and the impacts on cities. And this was one where I actually felt more positive uh, leaving it than than a lot, and uh, than a lot of the other conversations. And, and one more thing before we, we move on here, Adam, is it's worth kind of pulling back and thinking about what what the point is uh, of this podcast, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, one is we're just kind of students of, of cities, right? Uh, the way the way cities are moving, uh, transportation, all the things that encompass cities, zoning. We've we've talked about it all on the show, uh, but at the end of the day, we are are real estate advisors, and one of the the things that's kind of the driving uh, force of this of this podcast is to try and figure out the future of cities. Yeah, what they're going to look like, how they're changing, where the opportunities lie, because that's at the base what we're what we're kind of constantly thinking about, and uh, and and this is just one more layer in the how does COVID impact cities like Vancouver uh, in the short, medium, and long term? And I think it's uh, yeah, tack on another couple things to think about, but interesting moment. But Matt, before we get to our interview with Tiffany, we of course we have to highlight. Oakwood Realty, which is our sponsor. Our sponsor, one of the top 200 fastest growing companies in Canada right now. Yeah. Head over to oakwood.com slash join and type in VRP 2020 if you are one of the following. An aspiring real estate agent, a new real estate agent, sure. a real estate agent that's been around for a long time and is just not satisfied with where they are at in their career or with their current brokerage, you want to head over to oakwind.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Phenomenal culture, phenomenal resources, phenomenal knowledge base over at Oakland. And and the owner and our good friend uh, just tied the knot. Just got married. So uh, That's right, fathers, on the unlock your daughters is what they say. <laughs> uh, I don't. I've always wanted to say that, but I no. I'm I'm uh, I'm only kidding. We we he's definitely a family man and uh, and a great guy. And the photos were amazing. Uh, and uh, really really happy for those two. So. Shout Absolutely. out to them. Congratulations. What else do we got before we go to the interview with Tiffany Adam? We got the Sellers Club. Yeah, Matt. The Sellers Club is the hottest club in Vancouver. It is for home sellers that are going to be marketing their home or thinking of selling their home. These are basically action plans. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. That, you know what? But just before you give an example, yeah. it is worth pointing out. Action plans is in not pie in the sky type stuff. This no. is A, B, C, D. Cut. Tangible, tangible, tangible stuff. stuff. What's, a, is, what's an example? Yeah, here's an example. Sold plan. Sold acronym for start on launch date. And God, then you work your way back in the plan. And that's so really, trademarked. You, you just pick it. <laughs> well, we haven't it's got the legal document. Patent pending, yet. I guess. Patent pending. <laughs> okay, Cuban. Uh, no, it's not patent pending. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's trademarked it's a hell of a pending. Plan. <laughs> we don't know what Secret's doing over there, but he's, he's, got, a, he's got an application in somewhere. Um, but anyway, start on launch date. This is actually a work your way backwards plan to get your property ready for, for market. And it is honestly, it's, it's the proven method. It's what we use here um, on our team. And if you are thinking of selling this fall market, we can definitely help you. We've had a lot of people reach out and uh, it is definitely a good time to sell. So get in touch. We're happy to provide a comparative market analysis and help you get your home ready for top dollar. That's right. And that's info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Just type in sold plan. We'll send that out to you sure. immediately. But maybe we should cut to our talk with Tiffany Chu. It's a good one. Yeah, enjoy.
Okay, so we're here with Tiffany Chu, Environment Commissioner for the City of San Francisco and the CEO of Remix, a collaborative software program for transportation decision makers. How are you doing, Tiffany? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Tiffany, for taking the time today. Um, Can you start maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a designer and planner by training. I grew up in New York and New Jersey. My parents are immigrants from Taiwan and I am, I would say, a self-described civic uh, civic nerd. And a lot of my time um, is spent thinking about how to make our communities and cities more livable. And I started Remix, my company, about six years ago out of a nonprofit called Code for America uh, based in San Francisco. And um, our mission at Remix is to build more livable cities and to uh, help achieve greater access um, and equity in the world by expanding access within it. Right on. So we we first got in touch with you, Tiffany, because of a of an article you wrote in Forbes um, entitled "COVID nineteen is not the death of the city; it's the rise of the neighborhood center." But maybe before we get to to COVID, I'd be curious on your thoughts um, pre-pandemic, if we can uh, go back seven, eight months. Were cities like San Francisco, and I guess we at least compare Vancouver to San Francisco in in some respects, mm-hmm. but were, were cities in a good place before the pandemic? How would you describe good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt. Um, you know what? <laughs> now I'm on the hot seat. Uh, good. I, I don't, I guess in terms of, well, it seems to me like you're in the article, you're suggesting there's, there's quite a few, uh, changes, um, uh, in transportation networks and the rise of the neighborhood center and things like that. Um, that at least my understanding is you think is potentially, uh, a positive change long term. So I guess maybe, maybe to rephrase it, what, what were the challenges, um, that cities were facing pre pandemic? In your mind? Yes. Great question. So I would say cities pre-COVID, they were very much on the upswing. If you look at migration patterns and also global urbanization patterns, um, which is represented in both San Francisco and Vancouver, I imagine, um, lots and lots of people were moving from, you know, more rural suburban areas to city centers for jobs, for opportunities. Um, to be closer to jobs and opportunities. And that um, kind of shift from rural to urban was uh, noted, I guess, throughout the course of history by um, you know, the United Nations and their research around how urbanization has been on the increase and was uh, exponentially increasing over the past uh, couple of decades. In terms of the challenges that that comes with, obviously, as you start to cram more people in a finite amount of space, there needs to be all of these negotiations around who gets what use of space, who gets prioritized, not only um, on the street, but in housing, um, and how those services can be prioritized for the people who need it the most, as opposed to the people who have the most money to wave around. Um, And so I know in San Francisco, um, kind of the income inequality is very, very stark, which may also be the case for Vancouver, where you have folks who have um, profited wildly from you know, Silicon Valley and technology be becoming a very, very boom, um, uh, booming industry. 
And at the same time, there are folks who, you know, have lived in San Francisco for years and years and years, and they were starting to get pushed out um, because of rising rents. Um, you know, the community was not as focused on them anymore. And so um, there's been a pretty significant change in the population of San Francisco and the, the Bay Area in general. Just just thinking about some of those challenges that, that San Francisco was um, amongst many cities were facing, what was the city of San Francisco doing to address those challenges pre-COVID? Uh, so there were a variety of initiatives going on at the city level and at the community level. Um, I guess to be a little bit more specific, I know that San Francisco has had a um, sustainability plan and an equity plan in a lot of their projects. For example, at the SFMTA, um, equity is a very, very high priority in the way that they do their public outreach, transportation investment dollars, et cetera. Um, I would say of of late has been fairly focused on um, equity and equity first. That said, all of that is a direct response to how back in the 60s um, when um, a lot of the rail developments were being funded and built for the first time, equity was probably the last consideration. So it's pretty common knowledge that when BART, um, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, uh, the commuter rail, uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, when BART came in, it um, was basically planned specifically to raise through, raise like R-A-Z-E, um, through many, many communities of color in the Oakland area. Specifically, BART stations were built um in a way where those neighborhoods were basically destroyed um, through the construction. And that has been something that, you know, the entire region has had to grapple with. And a lot of cities are trying to make amends for that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually it's, it's interesting. Uh, Vancouver had a, I think was almost unique in, in a protest movement at that time that, um, that stopped the freeway from kind of crushing through a lot of the, the uh, communities of color. Um, just thinking about uh, the the article specifically, COVID-19 is not the death of the city, it's the rise of the neighborhood center. Like one one thing that's come up on the podcast uh, before and you you mentioned in the article is is uh, the push in, in Paris uh, towards a 15-minute city. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why that's a... Um, a promising goal or a promising uh, move? Yes. So this concept of a 15-minute city, which has been, uh, you know, very aspirational, and it's a poetic concept coined by the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo. She unveiled this plan to transform Paris into a 15-minute city and basically redistribute the city into a cluster of neighborhoods where Parisians have access to everything they need within 15 minutes of travel by bike or foot from their home. And this, when it was revealed as part of her mayoral campaign, basically took the entire urban planning community by storm because this was such a progressive, poetic, beautiful concept that a mayor in a very, very high profile city was championing for the very first time. And the plan calls for, you know, streets being close to cars, intersections turned into pedestrian plazas, gardens and parking spots, all of these small tactical 
urbanist interventions that had previously been, um, you know, a refrain for those on kind of the bleeding edge of urbanism, all of a sudden being uh, spotlighted by a mayor in a very mainstream way. That was huge. Um, and also she came out with all these uh, illustrations that visually communicated the benefits of a 15 minute city. Um, they're called, it's called Le Paris du Quatre Heures. And um, I think it's just a, a really aspirational concept, but also a really practical concept that anybody can understand and see how it would change their day-to-day life. So uh, just, just thinking about that, like we've talked, so, you know, we do our, our show weekly and, um, you know, some, uh, something that's come up since COVID hit in early March here uh, quite dramatically is is this idea that, um, you know, the telecommute, um, people working from home, people needing more space. And in fact, w- we talked about last week, like actually the, at least in the real estate numbers locally, uh, it does seem like people are leaving downtown Vancouver and, and moving uh, further afield to get, you know, a, a patch of green space. Um, and it all ties in with this idea of the death of the city. Um you see COVID as, as not so much the death of the city, uh, but something else. Can you talk about how it kind of, your vision of what's going on ties into this idea of the 15-minute city? Uh, and and if it's a positive, negative, presumably a positive, but I'll let you uh, speak to it. Yeah. So I think there has been a lot of press floating around about the death of the city, mainly because there have been lots of deserted downtown cores. And I think that has happened because of the unprecedented shift to teleworking and working remotely for those who are privileged enough to have jobs that allow for that. And so with this hollowing out of downtown cores, I think a lot of journalists and folks uh, come away with the thesis that, oh, the city's dead or the city's dying, which I think is absolutely not the case. And the argument that we make in our Forbes piece is basically to state that that's because if you shift your outlook around the city to not just be about the pure downtown core, if you look at the neighborhoods, the residential uh, centers, and also those retail corridors within those residential neighborhoods, you're noticing actually a much higher rate of activity um, around folks who are spending time there during the day. So they need to get coffee within walking distance from their house. Um, You know, they're no longer jumping from, you know, soup lunch spot to coffee shop in all the downtown areas that are basically shifting their uh, day-to-day activities to a different uh, center and focus point, which is their neighborhood. Um, And so what we've seen is that this increased focus on neighborhoods really give cities the chance to plan for a different type of uh, travel pattern. So the folks who are non-peak commuters, you know, such as parents taking kids to and from school, shift workers who might work, you know, really, really early in the morning or really, really late at night, caregivers, seniors, et cetera, all those people who were not really well served by kind of the peak transportation planning periods, of the the pre-COVID era, all of a sudden, everybody is a non-peak commuter in a way. And that's completely changing the way that transportation should be considered and planned. 
this is that that strikes me as such an interesting idea. And you mentioned, um, and I'm trying to remember. I feel like it's maybe been brought up on the podcast or I, I read it somewhere before. But you mentioned this uh, that study in in Scandinavia where um, where the snow plowing is is gendered, and you'd never really. It's such an interesting idea, but but basically, uh, it seems like you're suggesting that COVID has created. Um, like patterns where these invisible patterns that people don't really think about in terms of moving about a city are kind of the, the have been mainstreamed, if I understand what you're saying. Yes. So I first heard about this research case study from a 99% invisible podcast about um, this book, Invisible Women, that Caroline Criado Perez authored. And it's about data bias in a world designed for men. And she highlighted this research in Sweden that examined snow plow route prioritization and its effects on gender. So basically what had happened in Sweden and probably many other places around the world that have snow is that plowing typically starts with the major roads and then later gets to the small neighborhood streets. And what the research found was that because men typically commuted using those major roads and arterials, and then women, they were in a more caretaking role historically, and they used the the local streets to walk with kids or care for family members and et cetera, um, and that women were actually being disproportionately harmed by uh, unplowed snow routes. Um, because, you know, there was ice on the sidewalk. It was much more dangerous, especially when they were uh, traveling with different ages of family members. And so there was actually an increase for women in um, who received injuries and had to be taken to the hospital as a result. So then when they discovered this, um, they reversed snowplow prioritization and the number of women admitted to the emergency room and subsequent health care costs, they actually dropped, which was just mind-blowing right. uh, for me and, and my team to read about and learn. And and so uh, it's an interesting thing to kind of put or to place in the context of, of the pandemic that, that now it's become clear um, these, these routes that almost were, I guess, uh, not privileged prior, almost invisible, in, and, and it was that podcast, right? where I heard about it as well. Um, now that we're moving towards, or since COVID, now that the the rise of the neighborhood center, like how how in your mind, I guess in, in uh, San Francisco, has that impacted transportation networks, um, you know, moving away from that idea of the serving the peak commuter? Um, and, and what are some of the challenges, I guess, inf- in terms of infrastructure, but also just in terms of kind of sh- that shift away from uh, serving the peak in commuter primarily? Yeah, so there's a very, very clear set of ridership patterns that we've seen emerged um, through our work with agencies in Remix. And we just kind of look in our admin and in our back end, we see all of this new planning activity and new types of uh, service that agencies are rolling out due to COVID. And one thing that we have very clearly noticed is that ridership for transit has shifted um, specifically because mostly 
the ridership is now essential workers, um, folks who have no other option but to take the bus or take transit to get to their jobs. And um, that is happening at the same time that transit ridership is also shifting to local routes connecting neighborhood centers rather than downtown routes primarily serving the financial district. So you'll see that, you know, all these routes, a lot of cities have kind of uh, pulse systems where you've got all these kind of outer lying regions and routes connecting from the outer lying regions to the city center, which is, you know, previously the hub of economic activity and where everyone needed to go for their job. And now that's just no longer the case. So because of ridership shifting and uh, essential workers kind of being the most important folks to serve right now, a lot of transit agencies are um, very quickly iterating on their route networks, um, where routes start and go, the frequencies of routes. Maybe you need to increase frequency on a high essential worker route to be able to preserve social distancing guidelines. Um, so many different new planning approaches are being taken um, in a in a way that's faster than ever before. I, I'm just uh, I'm thinking, Tiffany, just about. Um, we, like the city of Vancouver, but also kind of like the Metro Vancouver area. And the way we've, it seems like we're designing the, the greater Vancouver region is, is around SkyTrain hubs. And we've been doing this quite aggressively develop, usually a development community is building around SkyTrain stations. And we've seen a lot of people um, moving to be close to transportation lines. So do you see like this, this notion of kind of, um, a, a renewed focus on community and the surrounding services in your immediate community. Do you see this as kind of strengthening um, the the municipalities in the in the greater region? I'm, I'm just kind of I'm not quite understanding like a move away from the center focus of of cities. Is that kind of what you're what you're getting at? So like we're going to see maybe stronger kind of satellite cities or communities moving forward? Um, that could be one outcome. I would say the change that we have been noticing at Remix and our city customers is that not every single bus route needs to go downtown anymore. And that was kind of the case prior in a lot of cities where that would be the most bang for your buck. That's how you would get the most ridership and entice the most people to get on the bus because most people are going downtown from right. you know where they lived. And I think now the shift is how do we connect neighborhood centers to other neighborhood centers? And we might not need to go downtown. We might be able to save some time and some mileage for, you know, all the, the bus and the vehicles uh, for transit by rerouting them in ways that connect them more directly from neighborhood center to neighborhood center. And what that means could be, um, for example, in the Vancouver region, Remix does a lot of work with TransLink and supporting the planning process for their rapid bus program. And what we've noticed and what I'm sure the Vancouver region has noticed is that um, rapid bus, since they're offering fewer stops and up to 20% faster service than the local buses, that has been a much stronger value proposition for riders who want to get to places faster um, 
than to necessarily have a, an extremely meandering route that has way too many stops and you need to take you know double or triple the time than you would if you had a single occupancy vehicle at your disposal. So helping cities and municipalities and agencies orient their mindset where they're serving more neighborhood centers and maybe less everything, throw all your resources downtown, that's probably going to be the trajectory going forward. Do, do you think that people, like, do you think this is, is going to be a long-term way of, of living? Or do you think that once people kind of shift their focus and, and kind of focus kind of more towards the, the communities and what we're seeing happening as a result of COVID, do you think that will be something that maybe sticks long-term? Well, I have been very heartened to see the amount of investment that Canada has actually been uh, giving to active transportation and kind of COVID response projects. So I hope this is something that is more than a temporary uh, temporary trend. So, you know, we work very closely with um, the city of Kelowna, the city of Surrey, and helping them plan out safer streets and um, active transportation. So, you know, biking, walking, pedestrian paths, et cetera. And from what I understand, um, the Canadian federal government basically allocated, I think, $3.3 billion for active transportation slash COVID response projects across the country. Um, I think Kelowna is getting $9 million of that. And all of them have to be planned and built by the end of the year, which is amazing and crazy and awesome all at the same time. <laughs> so what's happening right now is that, you know, there's all these grants being allocated um, by the Canadian federal government, which is way more <laughs> that we can, than we can say for what's happening in my country right now. And um, transportation groups and infrastructure delivery teams within cities are now all of a sudden getting a very, very strong uh, vote of support to dive deeper into, you know, all the bike facilities that they may have wanted to plan over the past couple of years, but couldn't find the funding to do so. Um, and being able to connect those um, active transportation investments to, say, broader transit investments in in the region and so this connective tissue between not just thinking about modes in a vacuum but thinking about them as a connected holistic transportation network that is sustainable i think that is something that we have looked at canada as being um, a, a very good leader on in many ways so that's interesting um you know we had somebody talk on talking about um the the need to push towards resilient cities uh, some months back, I think it was like, you know, April when we were in the, the, the midst of a pretty scary moment, uh, thinking back. But uh, one thing uh, that came out of that con uh, conversation was this idea that, you know, COVID's basically the first course of, um, you know, potentially a series of shocks here, whether it's environmental shocks or, or whatever, the world seems to be heading in a, in a more challenging direction overall. Can, can you maybe talk a little bit about how uh, this, this infrastructure that the Canadian government actually seems to be a bit ahead uh, of the curve on um, how it contributes to the resiliency of, of cities? 
especially moving forward? Yes. So the reason why transportation funding is so crucial and also so political is it is essentially the backbone of how our urban centers work and function. Um, Without transportation funding, you know, you really don't have the lifeblood of people getting from where they are to places of opportunity. And so I think the concept of a resilient city is so deeply intertwined with the ability for people to get around, get from not only point A to point B, but also point C and D and everywhere they need to be in order to live their best lives and adapt to changing um, climate, to changing job stability, to uh, changing familial structures, everything. Um, If you're not able to get around, then you're essentially isolated. And that is not what a livable city really aims to be. So I think most, and I'm thinking, you know, our current environment in the U.S. where transit agencies are about to fall off the budget cliff and there is no infrastructure bill in sight, even though we've been waiting for it for four years. Um, I think the path to a more resilient, more sustainable future has to start at um, where people are and where they need to get to for the most possible set of opportunities. And transportation funding, transportation expansion, active transportation, many different modes and options to get to all the places that you need. Um, that is, I would say, the most fundamental building block. And, and maybe as a final question, uh, Tiffany, for you here, um, it seems to me like COVID, it, uh, it's kind of, we've been talking about COVID for, <laughs> I feel like a lot on this podcast. And for the most part, it's been uh, conversations that leave me feeling pretty bleak about the future. This actually seems like in a lot of ways, an argument of of hope and and positivity, right? That this, this idea from Paris that was, was around pre- pandemic um, is kind of, it's like we've uh, leapt forward in a lot of ways due to COVID-19 in terms of how cities are operating. And it's become clear uh, that there's a a better way to organize cities. Like if you, if looking into a crystal ball here, I guess, if we're kind of 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and I guess this question is kind of twofold, what changes do you think uh, will kind of major cities like, say, Vancouver, or San Francisco um, maintain from this? And, and, w- and what type of changes would you like to see uh, if you could kind of be the, uh, uh, the director of operations and, and you know, uh, wave a magic wand? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I would like to see that our public services, including mobility services, are properly funded with sustainable funding streams. Um, That would be item number one for my wand waving. And I think with that sustainable source of revenue, um, I think it's really important to invest in basically the most vulnerable users of our public services. So folks who don't have access or can't afford a car, how 
do they get around and what is the wall around their life and how can we expand that wall around their life by investing in better sidewalks, better, more frequent bus service, um, better protected bike lanes, et cetera, so that mobility is not something that you get to have because you live in a really ritzy, well, uh, high-income neighborhood, but something that is more of a right. And that's kind of the ethos of the mobility justice movement um, that has been getting a lot of traction, especially this year during COVID. So I would love to see cities emerge improved from COVID by investing in folks who have continued to stay in the city because they themselves um, are investing in the city. Not everybody, I imagine the, the journalists who have written the cities are dead pieces. Maybe they have uh, a social circle where most people are moving out of the city because they have the means to, to do that. And I would like to say, looking around, there are still many, many people living in cities who are choosing to do so because of family support or they work essential jobs and they continue wanting to live in the place that they've lived for decades. Um, and so I do think it's a bit of like a skewed narrative that has been permeating in the social media sphere um, because of the ability for a select few elite folks to be able to actually have the means to move to a different place. Right. Not everybody has a house in the Hamptons. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Tiffany. Uh, how can people find out more about, about what you're doing and, uh, and about Remix? Oh, sure. Uh, so you can follow us online um, on Twitter at, um, at Remix. You can follow me personally, Tiffany Chu, at TCHU88. And um, you can message us on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you in the cities that we're working in. Um, Remix works with a fair number of municipalities in Canada, but we think that uh, Canada is leading the way in a lot of forms of transportation infrastructure. We'd love to work with more of you. So please reach out. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, well, th- thanks again for your time. That was really interesting, and it's we'll link to the to the article. It's a it's a really thought provoking piece. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Tiffany Chu, an environment commissioner for the city of San Francisco and the CEO of Remix. Really enjoyed that conversation with Tiffany, Matt. Uh, lots of takeaways there. You were you were mentioning one. Well, no, you know what I was just thinking of? It seems like there's, you, you know, and we've talked a lot about people leaving the city, but, uh, and and I think the numbers back that up, right? Like a lot of people can work remotely and, and it clearly, uh, places like the Sunshine Coast and Squamish are, are really seeing prices appreciate because of that and sales ratios going up. Right. Um, but at the same time, I like this idea that, you know, she's looking at the transportation data, whereas a lot of these uh, journalist stories are, you know, you talk to two or three people, you know, who are maybe moving away and it's you're, anecdotal. You know, you're, a, you're on a deadline and, and that story, uh, you know, becomes the story of the day and it's repeated and everything else. Uh, I But what struck me here is there does seem to be like a convergence of uh, information now that points to this rise of the neighborhood center. Like it, one is... Um, just the the data that 
Tiffany Chu's looking at to talk about how people are traveling in cities since right. not so much in and out of downtown, but the neighborhood trip is kind of of paramount importance. Yeah. Uh, two, the World Economic Forum just came out with a prediction on how the transportation will transform in the coming years. And to a person, it's bicycles and buses. How many, how many people did 346. They? This is 346 uh, transportation experts weighed in on wow. their predictions. And that is the future. Bicycles and buses, which speak to this as well. And then last, what Tiffany was pointing to, but uh, it seems very exciting, is infrastructure spending, kind of stimulus spending, uh, which Canada is doing a lot of right now. Is is all you know? It's not. We're not building highways and freeways. We're building bike lanes and a lot of progressive uh, infrastructure spending to make cities more walkable, livable, and uh, yeah, it's like COVID has really stimulated this this change that people were talking about pre-COVID. Um, is it but, safe to say though? Like, because I, I mean, I feel like last last episode we spent the introduction talking about how now the data is backing up the predictions. Yeah. Right. And is it safe to say now that we're, you know, seven, eight months into this, that we're just, we're really starting to see the the data and it's, and this stuff now, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's really predictions anymore. I feel like it's, it's substantiated we're, in a way where it wasn't three months e- ago. Exactly. And we're starting to see the way that COVID is impacting cities and um, people moving to Squamish to telecommute is, to me, seems... Um, like something that was predicted and something that's interesting, but this to me seems like more of a of a of a sleeper idea that mm-hmm. these neighborhood centers are coming up. And what this actually looks like is still it's kind of like you said it's slippery, right? It's challenging to kind of think through what how this changes the landscape and what it means for for Vancouver real estate and specifically for downtown. Yeah, um, it might not mean much once the tourists come back, but uh, well, but there, it's interesting to think. And there seem this this conversation is kind of marked by uh, this dichotomy of like it's either going to be cities or it's going to be suburbs or it's like it seems black or white, exactly. right? And and I think that's the challenge. Is like I feel like the analysis that Tiffany gives is just more of a like a shade of gray, where it's like it's 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 not this, it's not that. This it's, the it's a different version of this. Exactly. And it's like there's a couple rivers that are the sky trains, but now there's all these streams moving through and that's the transportation. Well that was beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Did you write that yourself? <laughs> hey, that's how I'm thinking of things. <laughs> you're like, I'm like a poet. You're like, let me interpret uh, Tiffany's writing <laughs> through a series of haikus. <laughs> I'll do an interpretive dance on it next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, like, but it was a great, it was a great conversation. It was, it was. What else do we got before we leave today, Adam? Uh, we got our website. It's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, Matt, we do. And you can head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, The Live Wire. Matt, what's on The Live Wire? The Live Wire, that's deal of the month. That's, well... All sorts of all sorts of information related to real estate that you'll want to know stats. about. Stats every month. Stats that are not released by the real estate board. You right. get them first before anyone else. That's if you sign up to the live wire. We also have private client services. Yeah, Matt, because if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And a mention about some of the stats that we are sending out. I went over sales ratios with someone really specifically uh, in sub areas the other day. And they were like, this is incredible 
how much information you can get about the submarkets and what the type of level of activity and how informative it is for, for making offers or for marketing your property. These are incredible stats. If you're not monitoring these stats, you really should be. It's, it's just on you, right? Because they're free. They're no obligation. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up for your free PCS account today and get on the live wire. If you want to talk about that, or anything else, give me a call 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or if you want to try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. The man who actually takes an elliptical to the office. (laughs) Have a good week, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.